This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about influencers and partnerships. Influencers and partners can be super helpful to brands and business. So first, they can build instant credibility through their endorsement. And second, they have a platform for of engaged fans, which can add significant reach to a brand's message. In most cases, this is a consumer target the brand can't authentically reach on its own. But leveraging influencers and partners needs to be thought through strategically as you'll be making an investment here. So it's important you make good choices so the use of influencers and partnerships translates into business success. But first, let's get clear on definitions so we are on the same page. Yes. So influencers and partners are definitely closely related and in some cases used somewhat interchangeably. But it is worth taking a minute to talk about the difference between the two because there is one. So an influencer is anyone, any person who has access to a consumer you want to reach. So they're referred to as social media mavens, maybe celebrities, athletes, politicians, artists, a single person that has one primary platform that you want to get access to and then a voice that is representative or respected by the demographic you're trying to reach. So to Anne's point, an audience that you couldn't reach otherwise, but that will be helped by the use of that influencer. A partner, on the other hand, is a property that has access to the consumer you want to reach. So they're usually more commercial in nature. They target a like-minded segment of people, and they tend to have more varied platforms to access. So versus a single person in a single platform, this is something like the NFL or Coachella or the World Wildlife Fund or the American Academy of Dermatology. These are groups that are definitely connected to consumers, but they're, they operate more as an entity versus an individual. So just taking a moment there to clarify the difference, and then we can back, get back into the show. Right. And so for the sake of a simple discussion, we're going to generalize both segments as influencers. I mean, there's going to be some nuances to partnerships, and we'll call those out uh, as, as we talk about each of the the uh, different pieces here that we're going to discuss. But you could just think really, like as April said, partnerships is a bigger scale version of influencers so that, you know, they, they're going to have more scale and there's more opportunities to engage them in different ways. So versus a influencers, which is generally like a single person who may have multiple platforms, which is generally like one platform that you're really reaching out to them for. So with that, let's talk about influencers. And specifically, we're going to give you four tips in using influencers effectively. And this is going to be really cool because this is not information you're generally going to get from um, anyone who's outside of the the, the marketing realm um, because they would actually probably make you pay for this. So a little bit of insight for you guys. And I also think this is a challenging kind of nuanced approach in a lot of ways that people just generally don't know a lot about. So therefore, in the way we like to do of sharing relevant information in a timely way, we felt like this was a really good one to kind of tap into on that deeper level and kind of uncover and unravel how to go about using influencers effectively. Great. All right. So let's get started for four tips in using influencers effectively. So the first one is in order for influencers to be effective, they must be able to authentically speak about your brand. 
So, for example, you aren't going to hire Terry Crews, who is bald, to talk about shampoo, right? <laughs> now, <laughs> it may seem like a really obvious example, but really the biggest mistake brands make is in hiring people as talking heads to hawk a product. And we've all seen this, okay? So you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. In choosing the right influencer, you want somebody that can actually speak passionately and authentically about your brand and really has something in common with the principles, goals, the likes, dislikes, et cetera, with your brand, right? So obviously, Terry Crews being bald probably hasn't washed his hair very often. It's not going to be able to speak authentically or passionately really about a shampoo, right? And this also means that when you get to a classification of influencers that you want to tap into, you really need to double click down into that classification to make sure you have the right lens and the right segment of that classification. So for example, if you're selling a new kid's toy, a lot of people would reach out to mommy blockers. But really, Mommy blockers is a pretty broad segment. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could classify mommy blockers as anyone who's a mommy who wants to provide their point of view. So you really need to think about what type of mommy is your consumer. So, for example, if this toy promotes early childhood development, you may want to vet mommy blockers who really talk about, who regularly talk about this principle and how it's important to their child's growth, right? So this type of mommy is going to create much more compelling content because they share a passion, and then they'll be more able to authentically endorse you. I mean, this doesn't mean that the mommy blogger has to be, like, necessarily the poster child for your brand. And, in fact, you may want someone a bit on the fringes who can broaden your consumer base. But they cannot, cannot, cannot contradict your core brand principles. So I'll give you another example here. When we were looking to for, uh, to bring on a spokesperson or another ambassador for Tide, uh, we brought on a, m a more non-obvious example, which would be Gronk. So Rob Gronkowski, who now plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at the time played for the New England Patriots. Not a typical, you know, the, the mom kind of family-oriented uh, spokesperson or ambassador or influencer you would think to bring on, but... It, it, and that was good for us because it helped us to play on the fridges, helped us to get to that um, that consumer target. It's a little bit younger, a little bit more hip, and you know, a little bit more kind of bro, you know. So just a little bit more like in that in that space. And obviously, Tide's had an NFL sponsorship for a long time, so that worked really well for us in order to be able to extend our consumer base. But as you kind of really get into Gronk, you know that he has a very similar principle-based uh, approach to, to life that Ty did, ironically. Um, his mom, he loves his mom. He does his own laundry. He, he So he has some <laughs> of that, that core, those core capabilities that made him actually click. But his personality allowed Ty to actually have a little bit of a breath of um, a freshness there amongst a different consumer target. So I think pausing there for a second give a little bit more of the, and you start to say it here, right? Like mm -hmm. there was a link between his personal brand potentially and then the Tide brand, but how did you land on him versus other players? Or what, like, what was the process of that? Because I think that's another important thing, right, for our listeners to understand how that works. Right. And and we looked at multiple different people. And I think when we started using Gronk on a, on a more um, like broader basis was 
after we already selected him to be part of our Super Bowl ad. Mm-hmm. So he worked so well there because he was you know, was playing a part within the Super Bowl ad and he played it very, very well. But he was we found that he could very naturally speak about the performance and um his advocacy, frankly, for for Tide to the point where um he he would say I mean, you couldn't you couldn't script the things that he would say. I mean, I, mean, I remember one time when we were doing some PR, he was saying, um, "Well, sure, I, I love Ty. Who wouldn't want a winner? I mean, who who wouldn't want you know have you know, <laughs> actually use the best brand out there?" And it's like you can't script that, uh-huh. but it, it came out very authentic from him. So um, that's kind of what what made it work. And and sometimes it's a an art kind of choosing the right influencer that's going to match your brand. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But there is ways of vetting people in order to make sure that, one, they're going to be aligned with your brand principles, but as well as being able to kind of take it in a little bit of a fresher way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually there's criteria associated with that. Um. And one thing to kind of really keep in mind here is that there are a lot of influencer marketing or word of mouth agencies. There are a gazillion out there. And this could be a really efficient way of generating reach if the agency is able to target your consumer. So a lot of them will work based on like I call it a sample and a prayer where you're basically just blanking a bunch of different influencers and hoping they're going to say something about your product or some say something good about your product, hopefully. And that doesn't usually translate into really good content. Um, it's it's usually formulaic in the nature, um, and it just doesn't like speak to the quality of endorsement that you're really looking for. So make sure if you're going to invest in one of these agencies that they're able to really target the demographic that you're that you're looking for, and you provide them a really good basis for that demographic too. Mm-hmm. And that's actually true, too, if you're choosing a partner as well. So make sure that that is also a basis for how you're going to select a partner. If partners are more on the macro level, um, you want to make sure that at a macro level, the, the principles, the ideals, your, your consumer overlap to some extent. But um, it's very similar. All right. The second tip, in order to get quality content, you need to brief the influencer. Yes, and I will take this one as a professional brief writer, I feel like, over the course of my career in the agency world. Um, But really, this should be very short and very to the point. It includes key information about the brand and kind of like the, well, the why of the principles and ideals that you must have in common with the influencer for that jumping off point. So you heard me ask Anne, you know, there's a million football players. Why did you land on Gronk, right? That's what we're talking about here. And it is also kind of a point for them to opt in or out based on what is in that brief. So they're, you know, they really need to make sure they align just as much as you feel that you align with them. Um, And this can be things like must-haves of guidelines for content. It can be directions for photography, like you have to show the product being used, or you must use this hashtag when posting, or include a call to action, which we'll talk a little bit more about call to action specifically in a little bit. Um, But it's really those kind of like key salient points that you're asking them to put forth in their own tone, but still checking the box on your kind of metrics, if you will, or things that you're going to want to measure moving forward. Um, Also, really, you should put a mandate and a disclosure that they're being compensated either through product, service, or payment. 
I know this is so hard to do because you really want people to believe that the influencer just did it because they love it. But I mean, people are smart and savvy and they know that these people are getting paid, but also there can be legal ramifications. So you don't want the FTC coming after you because you don't state that overtly or have them state that overtly. And then it becomes kind of a, were you not telling the entire truth by disclosing that they were being paid to do this? Also, I think on the other side of the mandates, you have to be really careful not to overly script them or box them in. Number one, it's going to make their consumer base feel the inauthenticity. It's going to feel like a script. It's going to feel like not something that would come from them. So then in that case, you're just essentially wasting your money because the clientele you were trying to reach isn't going to buy into the message. Uh, On the other side of that, you can get some resistance from them. So part of the the beauty of using influencers is that you're trying to get more authenticity versus sales approach against your brand out there. And so you're trying to build your base and and build awareness and build engagement and all of those things. And that can work really well, but not if you start to edit and copyright for them and take words out. I mean, this isn't a situation where you're putting claims on a package. You've got to be way more flexible than that. So outside of legal mandates like the FTC, you want to make sure to give them the creative license. And, and that's the reason you hired them in the first place, right? Back to the Gronk example. And just told you they got better content than they ever could have imagined from him just off the cuff. Does that happen all the time? No, that's a world-class example, of course. But the point is still there that that's authentically who he is. He strives to win. And so therefore that winner mentality comes through and it's authentic in the way it's presented about Tide. Um, Partnerships, as we talked about, we'll give you kind of those nuances. So they have multiple channels and what that ends up turning into a lot of times is like sponsorship packages. So here, again, you have to really vet those offerings. Um, In some ways, it can make it easier because you kind of have a selection already to pick from versus having to come up with the ideas yourself of what you want. But also, you can get signed up for things that really aren't the most effective use of your money or what you're trying to represent or even some things that like cost a lot within the package And you're like, well, but we want these other things. But it's like, well, if we just swapped out the most expensive thing, it could be more cost effective. So just really be smart about that, too. Don't just take the sponsorship packages at face value. Make sure that it's aligning to your brief and what you're trying to deliver for your brand. Yeah, and just to reiterate a few of those points that you made, because that was um, really, really good perspective. You know, making sure your brief has really important key um, points in it that's going to, one, help your influencer see what kind of direction they should take with the content. And that's why you want to make sure that they very clearly understand your why and what's the actual point you want to get across. Mm-hmm. So make sure you can relate to them a little bit. Give them a little bit of fodder for their their content. That's going to be very helpful for them. But like you said, do not overscript them. Don't make them say your sales line and your tagline. Let them give an authentic story or an authentic um, endorsement of how they feel about your product or your service within their own life, that's going to give you the most authentic content. And that's really, really, really what you're looking for. Um, so I think that's a incredibly good point. And 
you know, the sponsorship packages too, just um, reiterate a point about this one, because this was one I faced a lot when working with so many sports properties, is you have to work really hard to get something outside the sponsorship package, because Mm -hmm. it is very standard. It, It is what they like to do, because it makes it easier for them. It's not, like you said, April, not the best always for you. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it can be exactly what you need. And that's what you need to evaluate then if the ROI is there. But a lot of times um, we had to ask for different things and especially like more authentic integrations than what they were presenting. So, for example, a lot of them will be like in stadium, you know, Mm -hmm. it'll be like a banner ad in a stadium or, you know, on the Jumbotron. You're like, that's great for the people who are actually there. What does that do for me for the people who aren't there? Mm-hmm. So um, th- those are things that you want to think about, the nuances you want to think about, and, and really root that in what you uh, what your ROI is and what you're trying to um, uh, to achieve as a result of it, it actually engaging an influencer or a partner. Yeah, and I think that um, the sports piece is one that I think is generally just very challenging. I think to Anne's point, they want to just plaster their stadium with your logo, right, to show that they're mm-hmm. they're sponsored and people are bought in. And these are the people. This is kind of like our list that supports the, the, the team, the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it becomes more of their focus and agenda versus yours. I mean, I know even working locally here in Cincinnati with influencers over the years, it was like we maybe wanted to do a stunt or an interactive activity or, you know, a giveaway or something that would be featured more broadly on the network versus just to Anne's point to the people in the stadium. And you have to fight tooth and nail. They want to charge you an arm and a leg. But at the end of the day, if you can get it right, those stunts or, you know, interruptions, if you will, in the game can be impactful. They're just not often allowed. So in I usually, everybody who knows me would say I call stunt, it's a four-letter, five-letter word. <laughs> I hated stunts. So I think that the, 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 the stunt, the intent of the stunt is right on, but you really need to make sure that if you're going to do a stunt, and I'm sorry, this is just a, like a, a little, personal. Little, little personal thing of mine, that is clever. It's a clever integration yeah. of your brand. Don't do something just for, you know, the uh, the blip and the buzz because it'll be extremely disappointing because that's all it's going to be. It's not going to have the traction you want. But um, have, finding a clever way of integrating the two mm-hmm. things together in order to create um, more engagement mm-hmm. around your brand is should be the objective there. Yeah, and I think that's really fair. I think that the point here is more to make it interactive in some way right? because the people there are fans of the game and that's primarily why they're there. So outside of seeing your banner, I mean, that's just kind of like a a glance, right? Right. This is like, if you're going to spend the money, spend it smartly. Yep. Agreed. All right. The third tip, all influencer content should include a CTA so you can measure ROI. Yes. And I mentioned we would come back to this um, and we think it's very important on its own in addition to the things we talked about to put in the brief that you have a call to action that links to a business metric that you can measure your success against. So this can be things like link to purchase, visit my website or landing page, watching a video, trying an app, creating user generated content. These are things that you can measure against what you're doing with the influencer to make sure that you're being effective or not, and then change course if need be. So um, for example, we've seen well-chosen influencers drive more traffic than Google ads. That's a big deal. The trifecta of that would be using high-quality influencer content in the Google ads. But overall, the rule is 
you have to keep it simple for people and really don't overcomplicate it. Just ask them to do one thing. This has to be the baseline for your expectation. If you can get more than that, that's amazing. You know, the Gronk example of him just loving the brand, that's kind of above and beyond, I think, what you can naturally expect. Um, But again, we're talking about you having to play a proactive role in the situation of working with influencers. I think sometimes a mistake can be like, well, they're a pro at it, right? So just let them go do it. And that's when I think things can get off the rails. So this CTA, call to action, if it links to the business metric, then you have something to objectively go back to and go back to your management team with and say, yes, we were effective with this and this is how or not. And this is what we've learned from it. Right. And I think I mean, it's frankly one of the biggest mistakes I see um, people Mm -hmm. try to do. They try to pack too many things that they want the consumer to to do Mm -hmm. in one piece of content. And if you want them to do multiple things, then ask for more than one piece of content. Yes. So, um, and, and just to reiterate this point, like, you can ask them, you know, to go to the website, but you can't ask them to go to the website and post a comment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't ask them to, like, put UGC in and, you know, then go up into the um, the link tree and, and do something. Like, you have to – they only will do one thing. And the and the and the easier it is to do that it's linked to what the content is about – and what they're made net more nat- uh, the most naturally want to do as a result is probably the best call to action. So make sure that you really think about that. And as April said, er- almost all of these can have some sort of quantitative metric tied to them. Mm-hmm. Think about what that is and then establish it and then measure it and set some success criteria against it. And that, at the end of the day, makes it easier on you because then you just yeah. have one thing to point back to. You don't have to go and try to finagle and put together a story based on all the different asks. It's just the one single ask and how did it perform. Right. And, and especially if you're using more than one influencer, you can see how different influencers mm-hmm. perform against that one call to action. And then you can evaluate what's working and what's not working. Yes. So it's like a single variable experiment for all of you scientists and engineers out there. <laughs> All right. The fourth one, include an incentive to drive conversion. And this serves two purposes. So first of all, it gives the influencer currency with their followers. And that's really important because you have to remember that influencers are in a business too. And their business is their fans. And so they're always looking for what can I give or how what's going to differentiate me and my brand that's going to make these followers prioritize my content. So giving them some some sort of currency helps to do that. And then it also helps to drive conversion for you because it incentivizes the followers to do whatever the call to action is. It, it, it's a motivation factor, right? And so it actually helps them carry the message even further. And, 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 and most importantly, it helps to deliver your success criteria against your call to action. So, for example, if your call to action is um, a link to purchase, you may want to tie a promotion to that um, or a special discount. Um, If your call to action is to uh, user-generated content, you may want to give your influencer some extra product or some sort of extra uh, something related to your service that they can offer to their their followers um, for the best content. And that's whatever best content they define, the influencer defines. If you try to define it, that becomes a sweepstakes and contest and it has different rules. Mm -hmm. But your influencer can define who has the quote unquote best content. 
I'll give you one more example. So it could be um, if you're trying to promote an app, that seems to be a big one right now. You might want to give um, a free trial for your app, a free couple day trial or a free discount on the app. So just another one too. Just trying to kind of kind of cover off some of the uh, other industry um, influencing ways. Um, so choose something. Um, Try it. See how it works. You may decide you want to try a couple different ones um, and pair them with your call to action just to kind of test and learn. As you know, me and April really like to uh, encourage everybody to test and learn, and that's fine. But don't make the mistake that your whatever you're offering is so incredibly good that people are just naturally going to want to buy it. Mm-hmm. it you, you guys would be surprised how much conversion you drive when you just ask people to do something and you give them a little nudge to do that. Especially if it helps to make whatever you're asking to do just a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Your objective here is to really just reduce the risk of trying you, right? And so make them get over the hump right when you have them. The longer that they wait, the harder you have to work in order to close that. So really think about that. Try a couple different ones. See what works and, you know, and, and give it a try. Yeah, and I, I just want to emphasize the point, too, that this really does make the influencer look good. And mm-hmm. so um, while, yes, you're working in service of your brand, I, I think this is another thing to just consider and think about. And don't be afraid to lean into any sort of incentive that links with who they are as a brand. So that way they come off looking like a rock star because their fans get something that they really want. And this doesn't have to be any crazy sort of thing, right? It's like It's like if discount works, that's great. That's an easy way to do it. But if it's like, hey, these are product junkies and you can offer them something that they can't get anywhere else, those types of things where if you just really take a minute to think about your influencer and what they're trying to do, I think it offers the opportunity to marry in an incentive that works for both of you. Yeah, I think that's right on. I think that's right on. Um, and you'll have an opportunity if you have more than an influencer to try a couple different ways and see. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. Okay, so that's the four tips for effective influencer marketing. Our second section is our in the trenches section. This is where we go into more detail on the topic at hand, which um, for this is influencer marketing. So we're going to address some of the common questions we get when people are trying to define their influencer marketing campaign. So the first one is, how many influencers do I need? And this is a loaded question. <laughs> but um, and, and this is where you're going to hear us, and, and actually multiple of these questions, you're going to say, well, it depends. But we'll try to classify how it depends, <laughs> right? So you just don't get the generic answer. Um, so in, in this case, it really depends on what success looks like. And it actually really depends on what your budget looks like. Okay, so a rough rule of thumb is that you can assume and Everybody's going to have some different opinions, but based on my ex- a lot of influencer campaigns I've done, you can I, I, I say this is, is pretty close. So you can assume that 10% of an influencer's following 
sorry post, right? So a lot of people think, hey, if an influencer has 100,000 followers and all those followers are going to see my post. That is not true. About 10% of the followers are going to see that. Of that 10%, 5% may care, okay? So if an influencer does have 100,000 followers, then you can assume that about 10,000 is going to see it and maybe 500 will care. The percent who actually then take action will depend on a few things. It's going to depend on the quality of the content and how enticing the incentive is. <laughs> so that's why we told you those are really, really critical um, aspects of a, a really strong influencer uh, marketing campaign. Now, there are ways to boost a post so you can get more reach, and that's really by you know, the, the paid boosting, and we've talked about that before when we talked about social. That will help get more people to see it, for sure. You can also take the post off and put it on your channel and you know, boost it through that, too. Once you take it off a channel, though, it loses a tad bit of its authenticity. It's more of a report, more PR-based than it is more influencer-based, just so you guys understand that people will engage with it much more differently. Much more differently? Much differently? Much differently. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> and so you have to think about that. You have to think about um, if, if that's important to you or not. Because the really the most straightforward way of getting more reach and, and doing the boost is actually to give the influencer money to do that. Um, there's other ways of being able to do that by you controlling it. But it's a lot more complicated and sometimes the influencers don't like that. So you just need to think about that and think about then if you have that many people, so out of this, like 500 will care, and you put a rough estimate of based on the quality of content and how good your incentive is, how many people are going to actually convert and do what you want them to do. And then considering how much budget you have, you can start then kind of documenting and, and drafting out how many influencers you think you're going to need in order to get your call to action um, converted to the point that you get the ROI that you want. So as you're probably hearing here, this is an art more than a science, um, because even in this scale of influencers, you know, a lot of people have the tendency to go big, um, but the conversion may be lower because the pool is bigger. And we're going to talk about this in a second. And some of your smaller influencers may have better conversion because they have a more engaged or a more niche audience. So you have to think about that and when you're vetting your influencer and really you know, kind of lay out what you think is going to be a best case and worst case scenario here. And then start small. Um, you can add on as you learn, as you test, you know, test and learn and see what style of influencer is working the best for you, what kind of um, uh, incentive is working the best for you. Um, and then you can build from there. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, with Anne's background as an engineer and mine more in the art, if you will, side of things, I, I think that that point is really important here. And honestly, it's it, it's really hard, right? So mm-hmm. I, I we want to make it easy on you. We want to make it so that it's digestible and, and you can kind of check the box. But this is just one where it's going to require some time and some thoughtfulness in addition to your metrics and running the numbers. And so... I'm not going to lie, I feel like this can be a little bit of a frustrating part of the process, Mm -hmm. but what we will say is that it's absolutely worth the work. And then to reinforce the point about testing and learning, this is a place to do it. So don't go all in on every option. 
number one, that's not smart for the budget. Number two, it just puts you underwater immediately. You lose sight of what you're trying to do. Um, But rather think about your spend versus the impact you want to have and and what that metric or call to action is and then kind of chip away at it and try Mm -hmm. some things out. So that way, if you're just dipping your toe in, you haven't done this before, it feels like a daunting task. You don't have to cover all of it at one time. You can take some time to get it right. And there's very little risk if you're not investing everything in one place or putting all your efforts forward at one time. So that's a good way to navigate, um, a good way to take the pressure off and also try things out while learning about the process. Yep. Agreed. All right. Our second in the trenches question, what is best? Influencers with big following are smaller micro nano influencers. And again, I'm going to say it depends on your success criteria and your budget. But generally, the answer to this is a mix. Um, and, and, and generally speaking, you're going to have more than one influencer at a time anyway, because you're going to want to push out on in different fringe areas like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're going to want some that are a little bit more straight on and maybe some that are a little bit, you know, broaden that broaden your consumer base a little bit. So it's good to have a few influencers with some bigger followings and broader popularity to drive the reach and awareness. Now, this won't likely be your highest quality content because as I alluded to before, these folks tend to have a a very set structure for which they review or endorse or share brands. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be more apt to fit into their structure versus one to actually fit into yours. Um, Like... April pointed out, we got lucky with Gronk that he was willing to work within our structure, but also was able to elaborate beyond our structure in a way that was very authentic to him. So he's a little bit of a unicorn in that way. But, you know, if you bet your influencers, you might be apt to find these kinds of influencers who are going to do this for you. Now, the smaller influencers will definitely be more flexible, um, and they're going to really probably be more caring about your brief and wanting to take to heart your brief um, because they're trying to probably grow themselves and grow their following so they can work really well. Um, They might have a very niche following that could be very interesting for the way that you want to um, tailor your brand and and, and the kind of uh, consumer you want to reach. And because of this, their content tends to be much higher quality, um, and they can customize it more to the following. So there's generally then a mix. It's almost kind of in a pyramid format where you have your broader influencers at top, and you have in 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 it kind of scales from there towards the bottom, where at the bottom is more of your your smaller micro influencers. Now, and the reason the other reason why you do that is because generally the smaller micro influencers tend to have more longer term conversions because their followers feel they're a more authentic voice versus a you know bigger or broader um, influencer. It just kind of goes with the territory. So um, consider that. And then also consider the fact that your bigger, broader influencers are going to be more expensive. So that's another reason why you generally have fewer of them and, and you want to be very selective in those. And you can play a little bit more and and, and have a, um, more and more of the smaller um, midsize and, and nano influencers because they'll tend to be a little bit more cost effective for, for the content. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, just to place some emphasis on what Anne said there, I think the up-and-comers are really interesting because the influencer space is expanding so much and so quickly. And some of that is you have everyone thinking they can be an influencer, which is mm-hmm. not what we're talking about here at all. But I do think that it's always worth taking a look at the ones that are a little bit smaller just because simply they're hungrier. So Mm -hmm. they're still building their brand. They're not already there. And so, yes, stylistically, you have more flexibility, but you also can have more of an ask. You have more control of the conversation. You're helping them. I mean, if you're a big brand and and they're not not so big influencer, that's huge for them. So Mm -hmm. I think – you know, I'm not talking necessarily in terms of huge versus small. It's kind of like that in-between area where they might be on a cusp that they're trying to achieve. And I, I just think that's an interesting segment where they don't quite have the following yet and you can tap into them. And then maybe that leads to, yes, that greater impact immediately, but longer term relationship, all of those types of things. So don't just phone it in. Don't just pick the big guys. I mean, Ann just talked about the approach to the pyramid. Um, but that segment in particular, I just find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. All right, April, I'm going to let you take the next one. Is it worth investing in a celebrity to endorse your product? And the answer is, it depends. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> we should have titled this. We, yeah. <laughs> Everything depends. Yeah. Um, so if they're going to be a long-term brand ambassador and you really want to set or portray a certain image – it's helpful to pick the celebrities when they immediately trigger that connection in consumers' minds. So let's give examples here, right? So Matthew McConaughey for Lincoln, he has a lot of swag and a lot of style and some saunter. I think, you know, that brand had an older feel to it historically. And so the juxtaposition of him driving that car and his voice and kind of like the sultry nature of, of that that portrayal in the commercial and campaign turned some heads, right? It was no longer a car for an older person. Jessica Alba for The Honest Company, you know, she's a mom. She's, you know, girl next door quality. Yes, she's a celebrity. She really passionately believes in the product line and speaks really well to it. So, you know, that's a very natural connection point with her with young children and then just what she represents in the media in total as a celebrity, Michael Jordan for Nike Performance. I mean, I think this one's fairly obvious. There's an entire line of Jordan wear under the Nike brand because he is the epitome of that sport and has become an icon under Nike in and of itself. Um, Everyone can picture him with the ball, you know, slamming the ball over his head in addition to the Nike swoosh on that apparel. So. Mm And then Ellen DeGeneres or other celebrities for brands like CoverGirl. You know, it's easy beauty for every woman. And I think using a celebrity there triggers in a bit of a different way, which is if it's good enough for a celebrity, then it's good enough for me as a common person. And in the beauty space, when you deal with those more grocery store, uh, pharmacy type brands and you have celebrities use and endorse them, that's a very um, productive lift because people don't naturally think that way, right? And in a space like beauty where you have all tiers and spend, this is a good way to kind of shortchange and also do better than your competitors in that space by featuring um, famous people, but ones that are down to earth, approachable, you'd want to be their friend, all of that kind of stuff. So 
those are some examples. Now, the watch out um, is when the person becomes so synonymous with the brand that when something happens to them, something happens to your brand too. Um, and I'll let Anne speak to this one because it's closer to her. But I think we've we all remember this experience in the media. And um, in any case, I won't. No, no spoiler here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I'm sure uh, you have a, a gazillion examples too, but the one that always pops in mind here is, um, and I I know the time and place where I was when this all happened is when Tiger Woods' personal life blew up and the Gillette brand blew up with him. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's a, a, a big example. Um, and, I'm, and, and Gillette wasn't the only brand. Nike and all yep. these other brands now yep. had to answer for Tiger's behavior because um, – their brands were so synonymously linked with him um, on a performance basis. And, you know, to the brands, um, just to their defense, I mean, I don't think anybody inventing Tiger would have expected that this was going to happen. So it's not like they made a poor decision or just, you know, chose him just to have a somebody hawking their product, kind of say what I was saying before. But um, you do need to be prepared if something like this happens. Um, and you have to be careful that there is some sort of like separation um, between your brand and th- your your spokesperson, which is why, um, especially in the celebrity land, you tend they tend to rotate through these people um, on a regular basis, one, to keep it fresh, but two, just to make sure it this, this doesn't happen, that you don't have your brand so tightly linked. Um, so it, it's just a you know, I, I watch out to make sure you guys all do your due diligence. Look for the skeletons in your clo- in their closet. <laughs> really understand um, by digging whether and vetting whether or not you know the, what, what the tendency of like of something like this could be, um, and make sure you you know, just weigh the the pluses and minuses here. Yeah, and I think you know, unfortunately for all of us, with the world we live in, with social and cameras and everybody's hands, and you know, the digital space in general, it's trickier to find a truly, you know, I wouldn't say good, but someone without Clean. any skeletons yeah. in their closet. Um, and I think, unfortunately, you know, we hold these celebrities up in the highest regard, and that's why when something happens, you're like, "But wait, you know." Yeah. I really idolize that person, um, but also like we're all human. We all make mistakes, but everything now hits the media. And so I think that's just another thing to think about if you're going to hire a true celebrity versus an influencer and just something to consider um, so that to Anne's point, you're either prepared. If something does happen, you have kind of like an action plan or you go the more you know influencer that's w- lesser known route because you don't want to deal with what could come up based on the fame of the individual. Right. And, and another thing to be said about the examples is that these were like they they were not a blip. Like it wasn't like I just yes. like pay, paid this guy, you know, a, a good chunk of money, six figures to do a Twitter post for me. It was these were brand ambassadors that did uh, link in. They were chosen for their for an element about them that aligned with the principles of the brand. And then they were leveraged in multiple different ways across multiple different campaigns. Mm hmm. In order to make sure that um, they they leverage them to their fullest, so if you're going to just do the quick Twitter post, you may see a blip, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be sustainable. It's not going to drive long term conversion for your business. People might try you in in, in that one instant, um, but it's not something you can build your brand on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So the fourth in the trenches question: April, should I expect to pay for my influencers? Yes. 
Unfortunately, <laughs> no free lunches anymore, guys. Um, this is becoming people's profession. So I think when influencers and, and that community started, there were people out there that were trying to break in. They were willing to take the product and try it, you know, to get their name out there, all of that. We're just past that now in the way that things are. And like we were saying with, you know, declaring that they're getting paid, you know, with regards to FTC regulations, all of that, like, it just is the world now. So you're not going to get anything for free. If you happen to, sadly, it's probably not going to be anywhere near what you're envisioning in your mind. So really, we don't believe it's worth it. Um, you know, sending samples and then expecting something to be done. I mean, that's just not the way that it's done anymore. So Add it into your budget. Think again about your spend. Go back to that planning that we talked about that can be so hard but so fruitful if you do it in the right way. Um, one tip we do has, have is if you can negotiate directly with the influencer versus their agent, sometimes you can – or ones that don't yet have an agent, sometimes you can get um, a better bang for your buck there. Uh, but unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, is I know it's not the answer anyone wants to hear, but this is where you have to pay to play now. Yeah, and I think that's just right on. I mean, everybody gets really, like, cringy when you have to disclose, and they try mm -hmm. to find so many different ways around it. But really, at the end of the day, um, consumers expect it now. Yes. I mean, and that's the thing is, like, a lot of people are like, well, they're going to still think that the post is authentic if they are um, endorsing the product. And the answer is yes, because to some extent, the followers expect that, influencer to bring them the best products, mm -hmm. to bring them the best services. Mm -hmm. And they always expect it uh, to be in a context for which they would support it or use it. And most influencers, too, will also say, like, all my... Everything I'm saying here is my point of view. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not my point of view is not being bought. And I think in the context of what we're seeing nowadays that um, consumers believe that. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, they're just becoming a way for them to learn and understand about products. I mean, well, I mean, I can tell you right off the top of my head, influencers that have helped me try to, you know, and lead me into products. Um, so um, I think that's a, a really common thing now. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like word of mouth on steroids. Because yeah. if you think about like, if we go back to the beauty example, right, it's like, well, what product do you use for X, Y, and Z? Well, if there's someone that I follow that I feel like has a really good grasp and similarities and, you know, beauty tends to be where there's tons of influencers, right? Then I can go right to them and, and kind of feel like, well, you know, they're in this space higher than my neighbor next door or my best friend. So therefore, the word of mouth is I believe in them because they have more credibility in the space versus I think they just picked up the product because the brand wanted to pay them. Right. Yeah, I really, that's true too. Okay, in our third and final section, we always like to talk about a brand related to this topic that we think is doing it well or sometimes not so well. And, you know, this one's a little bit of a harder one to kind of, you know, look at a brand and point to a brand um, and uh, really talk about it because, as you can tell, a lot of this is um, shows up in the the zeitgeist a little bit differently. So it's kind of hard to kind of connect all the dots. But again, as we've talked, the objective is making sure that it feels um, very prolific surrounding a consumer. Um, so what I was going to do is I was going to speak very specifically about an influencer campaign that I led when I was at P&G, just to give you some context. And um, this influencer campaign was on Downey. And as many of you probably know, or 
maybe as we found out, some of you may not know, especially <laughs> some of the younger fans out there, um, downy originated as a fabric softener. And so in your parents and grandparents' days, um, the washing process and detergents used to make your clothes very, very stiff. So fabric softeners were used to, well, soften fabrics. But as the washing process became more efficient and detergents were more optimized, the need, the need for fabric softeners really began to diminish. So you had we had to rethink how do we reposition Downey in this new world where consumers' perceptions are, are different in order to keep this brand relevant. And what we realized is that Downey actually is really more than just a traditional fabric softener. It actually has been formulated with ingredients that help resist stretching, fading, and fuzz, which makes your clothes look newer longer. And so we wanted to reestablish Downey in this new category that we called fabric conditioners. But like, as I mentioned, the problem was that people weren't really paying attention to this category anyway, call laundry a low interest category, even though Gronk loved it and we thank him for it. Um, <laughs> so the challenge became, we had to really position Downey as the leader in the category while at the same time driving awareness of the category. So doing double duty, which isn't always easy. And in order to do this, what we really wanted to um, really put the lens on was the care of clothes. So laundry is a lot about getting the clothes clean, which is the basic foundation of, of laundry. But really what Downey does is care for them in a way that um, makes them last longer. And for people who really care about their clothes um, and more than just about getting them clean and want them to last longer, especially if you're buying investment pieces or you're, you're really in love style. I mean, so this is really a style-oriented consumer. This was going to be something that we thought that they were going to really want. So as we were trying to look, as you know, April was just talking before about like how we chose Gronk, we went through a, a very similar kind of criteria analysis of um, people out in the uh, at, at that time in the uh, in the world of style that could be very authentic in communicating this message of Downey to this following of style-minded consumers. And the person that we landed on was Rachel Zoe. Um, and Rachel, at that time, had multiple different platforms that could be leveraged. So she was more of a, we would talk color one of more of the, um, the higher levels of um, influencers. So one that was going to drive broad reach as well as broader popularity. And the great thing about her, not only was she very style-minded, but she actually already very much appreciated the product. So she could speak very authentically about it, um, which was going to allow us to have more higher quality content. So with her, you get the instant credibility that we needed to our product and our claims. And we also got that to a broad reach of consumers. And the bonus, the double bonus, is because of her reputation, other influencers wanted to interview her. So remember when we talked about um, the, the currency piece, the currency here was the opportunity for these influencers. We were giving these, these influencers this opportunity to talk to Rachel, and that gave them a reason to uh, actually talk about Downey as well. So then they could intertwine the two together give something to their followers. And this was really how we targeted the, the nano and the micro followers and the smaller, um, the smaller influencers. And really, I mean, I, I'm giving you a little bit of an advanced tip. So I hope you guys are following me here because this is a little bit of kind of blending 
uh, influencer work with PR work because um, the, the, the idea of currency and, uh, and the idea of using talent in order to um, drive interest, especially from publications, is a very PR-based kind of context. But um, I think hopefully you guys could see kind of how that flow works. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have a specific call to action or specific incentive for each individual pillar of influencers. You can use one in order to um, entice the others. And I think this is also a creative way to use celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we just talked about traditional influencer versus celebrity influencer. And I think this is one where it was so tightly integrated that, yes, the influencer made sense. So the celebrity influencer, rather. So check the box there. She loved the product, checks the box there. But then she also was able to bring another community forward or entice another group of influencers because they wanted some of her time. So you can kind of see how it works as an ecosystem Again, like Ann said, elevated example, but really good one from an execution and thoughtfulness perspective. Right, right. And just to kind of double click a little bit into that so you guys can kind of see how all the pieces play together, is we did brief her and actually we extensively briefed her. We actually invited her to PNG and gave her a Fabricare 101. Um, and that became the basis for a lot of the content that was created. And actually, if you go in and you search uh, Rachel Zoe and Downey, you will actually see that content is still living. The actual publications are no longer there. <laughs> um, so the publications have folded, unfortunately, but the content is still there. And then you, you could also see some, how some of the other influencers, the smaller influencers, then use their opportunity at, in, in interviewing her to really customize content for their following and then weaved Downey into that. So now when you look at that, you have a very comprehensive outreach, like uh, April was just saying, to the style-minded consumer target. Um, and, and we did it with over a period of time, too, because we wanted to make sure that there was um, kind of mass there that actually elevated all the content. Otherwise, sometimes if you if you, if you you do it too long, and if somebody asks me how long, it's like, again, it really depends. But if you do it too long, um, it starts to kind of just um, feel a little flat. It kind of mm-hmm. like rides below um, the buzz, if you will. So... Generally, a piece of content, especially now, can live for, I would say, three to five days, Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of gone. So keep that in mind when you're trying to orchestrate everything together. Um, But with all of that, um, we could then look at our ROI and see how we did. And and a lot of this is um, when we measured uh, our impact of our influencer campaigns, because it's hard to measure sales on such a big brand like Downey, we would look at other uh, KPIs like impressions, which again is not like ideal, um, but it does give you some indication of um, how well received your content was. Um, but we did have some internal tools that we used, also um, some modeling tools to kind of, to see if we were able to um, generate volume, which we were able to do that. So really look and try to find ways that um, you're going to be able to measure success here because it's not as cut dry and straightforward, especially if your brand happens to be a little bit bigger, um, but. That's why, you know, your call to actions are important. That's why um, the way that it links actually to your business results and making sure it does do that is very, very important. Yeah. And I would just say back to the original challenge here, right? This is a big one because it wasn't only about selling more product. It was about building awareness, then relevancy in people's minds, Mm -hmm. and then selling the product. And so I think... um, 
again, highly successful campaign, super creative, very integrated. But to be able to move the needle really at all with one campaign with all those objectives is a huge undertaking. And so just worth calling out that, like Ann said, it's a big one uh, with lots of layers, but a really good example of when it works and all, you know, things are going in the right direction. This is what it looks like. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's what we have to you, for you today on um, influencers and partnerships and how to use them effectively to, uh, to grow your business. And with that, go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.